Thank you for praying for me and allowing me the opportunity to go and teach and to study. Uh, We did the uh, journeys of Paul and landed in Rome, Italy and took a ship into Greece and to Turkey and uh, wonderful, wonderful time in the Word of God. And a lot of what we'll do over the next few weeks, I feel that the Lord has really taken and, and driven it home and solidified in my heart. It was incredible to be able to stand in Ephesus and stand in the same place that the Ephesian church stood when they received the letter from the Apostle Paul. And it was wonderful to go to Crete and stand in that place where Titus was given an incredible opportunity to evangelize and to preach and to set in order. And that's what we're going to talk about today from the book of Titus. And we're going to start a series from here, from Titus. And today we'll do our best to introduce the thought, the idea, and really give you an idea of who Titus is. I hope you're coming today to the Word of God, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been saved. I hope you're coming expecting the Lord to show you something from Scripture. Never approach Scripture that you've read even a thousand times before and think, well, I know everything there is to know. I've seen every character and every aspect, and now my wagon is full as it pertains to that Scripture or to this Scripture. Always approach in humility and ask the Lord to reveal something to you. That's what I did while standing in Crete and studying there, and God has done a work in my heart through this incredible letter. Uh, Please, please pray for Pastor Ralph and the rest of the group that's coming back. Uh, Just talked to him between services and they were in Athens and uh, Miranda and I left a little early to be back today, Uh, but they leave here in just a few hours and their wake-up call, he said, was 1.30 a.m. And so they will be in a really, really good mood here in just a little bit as they try to get to the airport. But let's pray that God will give them travel mercies. I believe they have a stop in Germany on the way back. So let's pray that the Lord will give them exactly what they need. I want to say thank you to evangelist Greg Lentz, uh, to Pastor Nathan who preached a wonderful, wonderful sermon on Mother's Day, and then to Brother Keith Hutchinson, these three men that stood up to the plate and preached. And I appreciate them from the bottom of my heart. Can we let all three of God's men know that we love and appreciate them for what they did? Now, let me set this up for you just as we study this. I really want us to make sure that we understand everything that's happening here. But this new series, we'll title it The Can-Do Christian. The Can-Do Christian. And as we begin this series, you're going to see quickly that this is a short letter. It's a short chapter, short book, rather, of the Bible with only three chapters. And it was written by the Apostle Paul. You say, well, this is very elementary. I know who wrote the the letter of Titus. Well, remember, there are folks among us who are brand new in the faith. And this may be their first time being exposed to the truth of Titus and what it says So let's start at the very beginning and understand everything in context. Now, this letter that we are reading is 1,959 years old. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Titus uh, right after getting out of prison. And he releases uh, this letter to Titus, but it comes with great consequence. This is, if you'll notice, much shorter than Romans, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians, the church 
at Rome. And I feel like when he writes the letter to the church in Rome, if you'll notice the length and the depth that the Apostle Paul went to to explain our faith. You go to Romans and it's almost a a verse-by-verse study of everything that encompasses faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find sanctification there. You'll find justification. You'll find all of what you need to understand grace and mercy in Romans. And it's a long letter that he wrote to that church. But this letter that he writes to Titus is very short and it's matter of fact. And I think it speaks to the confidence that the Apostle Paul had in writing to Titus. This is an incredible task that God is getting ready to set at the feet of Titus. And he's using the Apostle Paul to give him direction. Now, let's set the scene here. There are a new group of believers on this Greek island called Crete. Everyone say Crete with me. Crete. If you've ever been to Crete before, raise your hand. Oh, wow. We've got some Cretans among us that have been. It's a beautiful island, but it's a small island. It's only 160 miles long and 35 miles at its widest point. And it's in the Aegean Sea. It's absolutely beautiful. But there was a great work to be done there. And the Apostle Paul sends this Grecian man named Titus to carry out this work. Now, if you take notes and if you're studying along and you like to take notes, you can make this note to go back to Acts 27 and you can see a lot of the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with this church, this brand new baby church in Crete. Now, if you are familiar with the Pauline epistles like Galatians and Ephesians, uh, you'll notice that Titus does not spend a whole lot of time correcting theological error. I believe with all of my heart this was obviously going to affect everybody on the island of Crete, but I honestly believe that this letter was more for Titus to have exact instruction on what he was supposed to do. And what the Apostle Paul, what you have to understand about this letter, is that the Apostle Paul is giving Titus the... Uh, spiritual well-being, the overseeing of the spiritual well-being of every brand new baby Christian on that island. And this is no small task. Even though the island is small, there were many cities and there were many people who needed to hear the good news. And the church that was there, these Christians were not meeting in buildings like this These Christians were meeting in very rudimentary structures. Many of them were meeting in their house or outside in the garden where their house was. But what you're going to see over the next few weeks is that Titus was a can-do Christian. We're going to look at many aspects of how he responded. And in a few weeks, we will see the fruit of his labor. And I'll share this I did with the 8 a.m. service. I believe with all of my heart, That there's so much for, listen to the words coming out of my mouth, for the American church to learn from this book. This book that is 1,959 years old is so relevant for us today. It's just more irrefutable proof that your Bible is inerrant, without error. It is infallible. There is no fallacy. It is holy. It is inspired. And church, it is still relevant in 2023. 
Your Bible is one of the most beautiful things you possess, and it is the most relevant document you will ever possess. And inside these short three chapters, even to this day, Trinity Baptist Church, we adhere much of the structure of our church and the qualifications for leadership comes from Titus. And this is a powerful book, and it's the model for the church. It's the model for the Christian who's living in a difficult place. It's the model that each and every one of us need to adhere in our lives. Uh, let me get this in your mind now and very clearly. Titus is not just for preachers. The book of Titus is not just for deacons or those in leadership. The book of Titus is for every believer and we'll see what it means to be a can-do Christian. Let's take in the first four verses of this wonderful book. Let me pray. I want to ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. And then I want to dedicate the series to him as we explore the word of God together. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, what a privilege. What an honor, God, to be back in your house today. Lord, I want to thank you again publicly for the precious souls that came today in believers' baptism. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and their families today. Lord, I pray that no harm would come to the spiritual man of every person who's made that public profession today, that God you'd surround them in grace and mercy. God, no doubt the day after being baptized, the old naysayer will come. Spiritual warfare will be evident and real. We pray now for our brothers and our sisters in the faith. Strengthen them. Give them what they need. Help us to be a church full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, to love them, to tend to them, to care for them, and to carry their burdens as if they are ours. We thank you for the Holy Ghost. Move in our midst. It's in Jesus' name the church prays. Amen and amen. Let's look at these first four verses. Paul, who is the writer, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. Let me read that again. Through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. My goodness, what an opening to a letter. This is not your everyday hallmark hello. This is not Snoopy birthday card. This is a letter inspired by the Holy Ghost of God that the Apostle Paul, just after being imprisoned, is writing to his faithful follower and servant, Titus. Now, let me just take a moment right here as I did at 8 o'clock. This is what God revealed to my heart while standing on that island in Crete. You could not have verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4 unless you had what happened on the Damascus road when a guy named Saul, who was a Pharisee that hated Christ and hated Christians and wanted to imprison Christians and destroy the lives of Christians, something happened on the Damascus road. According to scripture, Jesus Christ himself appeared to this man named Saul. And there's this wonderful conversation. Saul falls uh, to the ground 
And he asks, who are you? And he hears a voice from heaven. I am Jesus Christ whom thou persecutest. It's difficult for thee to kick against the pricks. And that day, God sent Jesus, his son, to appear to Saul the Pharisee. And praise God, Paul got saved that day on the Damascus Road. Let the church say amen. But you cannot have these first four verses without what happened on the Damascus Road. Praise God, Saul became Paul. The Pharisee, the one with all the knowledge, the one that spoke all the languages, something happened to him and it's a domino effect of responding to the gospel, of responding to truth and it has changed everything forever. And 1,959 years later, here we are yet again at 216 Shelburne Road in West Asheville and we're still talking about what God did 1,959 years ago. My Lord in heaven, what proof of the working of God, the hand of God, the sustaining force of God that we would be here that much later in life reading this incredible, incredible letter. I'm so thankful for the first four verses of this chapter. I was standing in Crete and I'll be honest with you, I read these out loud and I could not make it to verse number five. Praise the Lord that God saved Saul, who became Paul, who wrote a letter to a boy named Titus. Praise the Lord for that. And not only can we say praise God that Saul became Paul, and according to the word of God, it says straightway, immediately, Saul became Paul and preached Christ in the synagogues. And now he's written this letter after imprisonment. It doesn't seem to be any loss of his belief. Does it seem to be uh, that he's changing his story about whether it's worth it or not? He's coming out of imprisonment and saying it is still worth it. I'm still a part of the family of God. And Titus, there is work to be done. And he says in verse number four, my own son after the common faith. Praise God, he saved Saul who became Paul. But praise God, not only did he save Saul who became Paul, but Paul preached and one day, somewhere along one of the journeys, there was a little Grecian boy named Titus who heard the truth. And the same God that saved Saul on the Damascus Road was the same God that came by and opened up that little Greek boy named Titus's eyes. And praise God, one day, a boy named Titus got saved. Thank God that God sent a man to preach the word of God the day or the night or the service that you got saved. Praise God that he sent a Sunday school teacher to plant seed in your young little heart that couldn't even understand. But that one day, praise God, through the preaching of his word and the power of conviction of the Holy Ghost, you got saved. Praise God he calls people to preach. And he did so and Titus was saved. And he calls him my own son after the common faith. It means that Titus had been born again under the preaching of Paul. I remember where I was. It was on this campus in 2005 on a Wednesday night. And God's man got into the pulpit and preached a message to a mostly church crowd. And it made no sense that that night God's man would preach a message so pure and so simple on salvation. There were multi-generational families of this church sitting in that service. But there was one 15-year-old boy on the second row on the right-hand side. And God the Holy Ghost knew that this was the night 
that this boy would respond to the truth of the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And praise God, he sent Ralph Sexton Jr., a man full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, not by power of his own might or his own word, but by the power of the Holy Ghost of God. The Holy Ghost of God came by my way and saved me. Thank God for the preacher man that preached the truth. You better love the man of God that preached to you. You better thank God that somebody loved you enough to tell you that you were lost and on your way to hell. Thank God that Paul got saved and preached Christ straightway. And now Titus has been saved and he's getting to work, Joe. He's got work to do. I don't just want to be saved. I want to get to work. I got to do something for the Lord. Praise God. He calls people not only to their salvation, but to do the work. Now, I could preach that until my liver comes out of my left ear. I love that. Praise God, he's still saving people. The same God that saved Saul, who became Paul, who saved Titus, is the same God that saved me. And if you're saved this morning, it's the same God that saved you. I still believe that God can save anybody, anywhere, anytime, according to his will. But then Paul... Get straight to business. Verse number five, he says, Titus, for this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now, You've got to understand this on the onset. If you don't understand this right now, right here in this series, you'll miss a lot of what the Lord's going to show us. But there are two primary parts of Titus' responsibility in Crete. The first thing he has to do is set in order things that are wanting, things that are out of order. And then he is to ordain elders in every city. Now that may not sound like a whole lot, but let me put it in context that maybe we can all understand. Let's imagine that the Apostle Paul did not send Titus to Crete. But let's imagine for the sake of understanding that the Apostle Paul sent Titus to Buncombe County. And he said, Titus, I want you to go to every group of believers in Buncombe County. And I want you to walk in and I want you to look at all of their leadership in the face. And I want you to say, I'm here to set some things in order that need to be made right. And by the way, I'm going to handpick the leadership. And I will tell you who will be your deacons. And I will tell you who your pastor will be. Y'all know the same Buncombe County that I know? I've got some churches I'd like to see him try that in. Some of them are up in Sandy Mush. Can you imagine the task of going to every group of believers and saying, I'm here to set some things that are out of order in order, and then I'm going to tell you who's to be the leadership over you. This is truly a daunting task that the Apostle Paul is giving Titus. 
And there will have to be some real personal conversations. Titus is getting ready to have intense evaluation of people. He's going to meet with leaders and elders and he's going to talk with them and he's going to ask them some tough questions. And he's not just going to do it at one church, but he's going to do it at every city, every group of believers. And no doubt this was an assignment that was born in heaven, but that God was using this man Titus to carry out his work. But read ahead just a few verses. Go to verse number 10 for me. I want us to get an idea of just how daunting the task is. Verse 10 says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Now, who is he talking about there? They of the circumcision. The Jews. Whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. That's talking about for financial gain. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. means they're lazy. This is not a very charming bio on the city. Cretan people are always liars, evil beasts, lazy, slow bellies. And Paul, what he was doing here in this verse, in verse number 12, he said, one of themselves. He's quoting a very famous Greek poet named Epimenides. He himself had been born in Crete. And he himself, Epimenides, said of his own people that they were the worst of the worst in Greek culture. They were terrible people. They were the scourge of Greece. They were liars and they were lazy. They're not even worth knowing. That was from one of their own. How would you like to go to your city bio and read on Google that Everyone in Asheville, it said every one of them, everyone that lives in Buncombe County, Western North Carolina, is a liar, they're evil beasts, and they're lazy. That's a very, very damning charge against these people. But this is the task that God is giving Titus, and he's wanting him to go into these people's lives and do some things that are very difficult. No doubt this place, Crete, History tells us was very dangerous. Crete was known for all forms of immorality, sexual promiscuity, and wickedness. The same evil and the same wickedness that Jesus took the disciples at Caesarea Philippi to the temple of Pan and told them that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. This is the same type of worship. It's filthy, it's horrible, yet it's what God is assigning to Titus. Set in order things that are out of sorts and ordain elders. Find leadership amongst people who are always liars and encourage this new baby church. And Paul is telling Titus that these are the people. These are the ones that you're going to have to invest yourself in. These are the ones that you're going to have to weep over and pray over. This is no small task. Verse number two, notice what Paul says. He says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Why would Paul have to tell that to Titus? Titus knows that God cannot lie, but why is Paul telling Titus yet again, uh, this is our God, the God who cannot lie? Because Paul is already equipping Titus to point to the contrast between the people and who God really is. If Cretans are always liars, they're evil beasts and slow bellies, 
then point to the God who cannot lie and preach the truth because he is truth. This is a daunting task that's being put in front of him. Now let's ask the Lord to help us learn something from this. This is powerful. If we'll allow the Lord to do something for our hearts in this, it will change every Christian that's here. Every Christian that's here. It is so very practical if we'll allow it to be. And as I said at the beginning, if we all will approach, listen, no matter how long you've been saved and now how old you are, if you'll come to this and say, Lord, show me, change me, develop me, grow me in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, I promise he'll do just that. There's something that you must see in this, and that's that just like Titus, you have tasks. You have responsibilities. Say this with me. I have responsibilities. Say it one more time so you really get it. I have responsibilities and they're hard. They're not easy. Not everything in life is a day at the beach. There are responsibilities, there are tasks that God has laid at your feet for you to live and for you to carry out. And the truth is, most of them are not easy. Anything worth doing and worth doing right for the glory of God, nine times out of ten will not be found to be of easy effort. Following God, pursuing God, living for truth is never going to be found at the path of least resistance. It will always cost. It will always be difficult. We all have different roles in the body of Christ, but we all have been given those responsibilities and God has expectations of all of us. No matter how difficult, no matter how hard, think of how Titus feels as he's reading this. He knows it's going to be hard, but did that change the fact that God had sent him to Crete? No. If anything, it exacerbated the need, the desire. Go to these people who are liars, who are on their way to hell, and expose them to truth before it's too late. There was an urgency here. And I think of some of the tasks and the roles and the responsibilities and things that people in this audience today, some of you I know more than others. And I know what some of the tasks are that God has called you to do. Listen to me. Parenting in 2023, bringing children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord as the Bible instructs you to and as God expects you to is no easy task. Yet, God expects it. Loving the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength is not easy. It's hard. It's a daunting task. It's a daily effort. But God said, this is the first commandment. And He expects it. Some here have physical ailments. You have emotional baggage. You have hidden hurt. It's something you have to carry with you every single day of your life and you pray for it to change and it seems that God doesn't change it. You pray for God to move and to do something different with the situation and it's just the same. Yet God loves you and He knows what you're going through and He expects you to still be exactly what He wants you to be. Tasks, roles, responsibilities most of the time are tough. Sometimes it's giving my tithe and my offering even when it doesn't make sense in the physical realm of my bank account. 
But in the spiritual realm, it's the requirement that God has set. It's hard. And that's exactly what Titus is facing. He's got a task set before him that in some ways, in some cases, seems absolutely impossible. But as we'll find over the next few weeks, Titus is a can-do Christian. Titus, for this reason, I've left you in Crete. He's sending him into the land of the liars, the land of the evil beasts. But Titus, know this. Though your task is hard and though the circumstance is not easy, there is a God who is aware of your assignment. Titus, your effort is being seen, maybe not by those who will give accolades and throw roses, but there is a God in heaven who sees every conversation that you're having, every teaching and preaching of the Word of God that you'll ever do. And Titus, know that God knows exactly what you're going through. And though it's hard and though it's difficult, He will give you exactly what you need to be obedient to do what He's called you to do. Titus is a can-do Christian. Spurgeon said this about Titus. I love what he said. He said, Beloved, Titus seems to have been a man of great common sense. Boy, that doesn't seem very common anymore. So that when Paul had anything difficult to be done, he sent Titus. When the collection was to be made at Corinth on behalf of the poor saints at Jerusalem, Paul sent Titus to stir the members up. Titus had already had a bit of a reputation of being the guy you send when there's a problem. The Apostle Paul knew what was going on in Corinth. He knew what was going on in Thessalonica. And he knew the daunting task in Macedonia and in Crete. And of all the people he could have sent, he said, I want Titus to go to the land of always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. Because Titus is a can-do guy. Church, this is exactly what the church in America needs today. And I say that, listen to me, be very careful about mixing your national pride. Listen now. Be very careful about mixing your national pride. I am proud to be an American. I fly an American flag, red, white, and blue. Baseball, hot dogs, baked beans, I go all the way. Everybody say amen. Amen. I'm proud to be American. But I am more proud to be a Christian. I'm more proud to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, everything that I have in this national pride that I have for my country, I love my country, I pray for my country, and every good thing I've ever had in this country has been a gift from God, not from the Republican Party, not from the Democratic Party, and not from Libertarian or people who are in the middle of the road. Hogwash. It's from God. It's not about people. God rose up people to bring about the blessing. The American soldier was one of them. It it all points back to the blessing of God. But understand that everything that God is doing in our church and everything that God is doing in our community, although it is hard to see sometimes what is actually happening, 
And although it's hard to see exactly where the good is and where the light is poking through the darkness, understand this, that the same God who assigned Titus to go to Crete is the same God that has assigned you to live in 2023 and live in West Asheville or in Canton or in Tennessee or in South Carolina or wherever you're watching and be salt and be light and look at hard situations and tough circumstances and still look at the problem and say, I can trust that person to be what I expect them to be. God has not lost any power. God has not lost any ability. The can-do Christian is what we need. It's what our country desperately needs is for the church to be the can-do church once again. You think of how we got to where we are, Trinity. How did we get here? How did we get here? The hand of God is how we got here. But if you'll look, God's hand moved in the lives of people who were willing to do whatever it took, whenever it was necessary, for God to continue the work here. And what we need is a new generation, a revival of can-do Christians. There's only four ways that happens. It's a daily surrender. Let me give you these as we close. Titus had this reputation of being this can-do guy that looks at the situation and just does it because God wants him to. That's what we need. That only happens by four different things being surrendered every day. Number one is my attitude. My attitude. It's going to get quiet right here. My attitude. This is how I respond to the task that's set before me. This is my countenance. This is my body language. This is even my posture. And even in hard times and with tough circumstances and situations, look, I am broken hearted about the direction of our country. It kills me. I weep for my nation. And I will go and I will vote and I will do what I can and do my part. But at the end of the day, I have eternal hope and security in the Lord Jesus Christ. And above all, that supersedes everything. My attitude, God has an expectation of my attitude. And in your life, in whatever the circumstance is, it doesn't matter if you're a mom that works herself to the bone and you stay at home, or you're a mom that stays home some and you work a full-time job, or a police officer, or a firefighter, no matter what you do, no matter what your life is, all of us are going to have hard days and tough tasks and tough assignments. But God is interested in how you respond. He wants your attitude. And it's hard to have a bad attitude. It's hard to have poor countenance, improper body language, or even incorrect posture when I trust God with my life. It's hard. If I'm in the perfect will of God for my life, and I have a bad attitude because of the circumstance, then what does that say about how I trust God? You know what it says? God, you don't know what you're doing. God, you don't know what you're doing. Are you, are you paying attention, Lord? What, what is this? I've been faithful. I do all that I can. And this is what I have to deal with? Instead of waking up every day and remembering who you are and what you are in Him. It's daily surrender of your attitude, even though the assignment may be tough. Number two is your perception. And I'm putting my perception because I'll be honest, I'm preaching to a big mirror. I need my attitude to be checked daily. If I'm going to be a can-do Christian, that I have to have in check my attitude, how I respond to everything. Secondly is my perception. 
My attitude is how I respond. My perception is how I see things. And this is an internal dialogue. Listen closely. This is an internal dialogue. How you really see things, not what's coming out of your mouth, but what you're actually saying on the inside, what your heart really is saying. Know this, that saved people, people that are in the faith, if you're saved, you're born again, and you're on your way to heaven, say amen. Amen. Saved people, saved people have no business with pessimism. Saved people have no business being negative. Negativity coming out of the mouths of people who will not spend an eternity in hell is such an insult to the great price that God paid with the life of His one and only Son. If you're on your way to heaven and you're never going to be separated from God for one second, and if you're never going to go to hell and understand the judgment and the torment and the wrath of God, then what in the world do we have to be pessimistic about? And what in the world do we have to say that's negative? Pastor, it's been a tough time. I know it's tough. That's why James said, confess your faults one to another and get you some prayer help. But do it in light of the fact that you're born again on your way to heaven and that you'll never be separated from God. Pessimism and negativity absolutely is obliterated. My perception, how I see things. Yeah, I may have a flat tire, but praise God, I have a tire that went flat and I had a car that that tire is attached to. And praise the Lord, I can make the payment on the car. And praise God, there's gas in the car that I can afford. And praise God, praise God, praise God anyway. This is the perception. This is what it takes to live in 2023 and serve the Lord with everything you have. My attitude is how I respond. My perception is how I see things. Listen to me now in love. I Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. I need to improve on this. Me. I need to improve. I need an attitude adjustment every once in a while. I need my perception on how I look at things every once in a while to get a swift kick. Hey, you know what I find though? I told the eight o'clock church this. If I put all of my really negative days on a chart, all the days that I said, what a terrible day. What a bad day. What a horrible day. What a terrible, terrible, horrible, bad, terrible, terrible day. Sounds like something out of Dr. Seuss. You know what I find? I find that those are the days that something distracted me from the word of God. I didn't get my spiritual man fed. And when my spiritual man doesn't get fed, things get out of whack quickly. And then things start coming out of my mouth like, I don't deserve this. No, I deserve hell. And anything north of that punishment, eternity separated from God is a blessing. Well, that changes your perception. Thirdly, it's your knowledge. And I put here again, my attitude, my perception, and then my knowledge. I can't control your attitude. You can't control my attitude. I can't get in your brain and control your perception. You can't get in my brain and control my perception. But I can control my attitude. I can control my perception. And then thirdly, my knowledge is what sets me apart. And what sets me apart is the truth. Growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
It's the only way you will last. How do you think Titus is going to go into a land of always liars and evil beasts and do anything that will compel them to come to Christ through the truth? Sometimes it's not about how much you know. It's about what you do with what you do know. Hear me now. Well, I can't share my faith. I, I can't even tell you the books of the Bible in order. What a pitiful excuse. All you have to do is share your story about what God did for you. Hey, let me tell you something. I may not know what all the Christophanies in the Old Testament are, but I can tell you that I was saved and that before I was on my way to a devil's hell for all of eternity. But God, the Holy Ghost sent a preacher and he saved me and he changed my life. Your story. And then God's called you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. It's the only way you're going to make it. Listen to me. It won't take long. I believe this with all my heart. I think in the next 10 years, you're going to see a great separation. It could even happen in this church. You're going to begin to see a separation. And where you're going to see the separation are people who are going to make it the distance and finish the race well. And those who are too broken, bruised, or self-absorbed to do anything for the cause of Christ. You say, that's too harsh. It's the truth. And the only hope that this group has, that this group has but ignored, is what they did with the Word of God. And if the Word of God is absent from your home, then don't wonder why your children are the way that they are. If your children don't know the story of the Bible, the gospel message, and they're not seeing it lived out in your life, then what do you expect when they turn 18 years old? The only hope that Titus had was his knowledge of truth. It is the only hope that you have is your knowledge of truth. Lastly, it's your knowledge. It's what sets you apart. It's the truth. And then lastly, it is my diligence. And this is my commitment to the truth. Titus is not going to be able to go in with guns blazing and in three days fix this whole problem. It's going to take diligence. It's going to take long suffering and patience. It's exactly what it's going to take for you. The Lord could come back tomorrow and I pray that he does. It would not hurt my feelings one bit for the Lord to come back tomorrow. But if he tarries, and if we're going to be faithful... It's going to take some people who are absolutely sold out to the Word of God with passion that is the only thing that keeps them diligent. Your diligence is that commitment to the truth. And it's about doing what you know to do. Faith without works is dead. You want to be a difference maker in your community and in your family? Quit posting about it on Instagram and start doing it in your life. You want to see your family changed? Get the Word of God out and turn off the TV. You'll see your own personal life explode in faith and grace and knowledge. And be diligent to the truth. Verse number five, and this is where we'll close. He says, For this cause, Titus, I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. And here's one of the greatest gifts that the Apostle Paul ever gave to Titus. He says, as I had appointed thee. This is most encouraging what Paul is telling to Titus. He's saying, Titus, go into the land 
of the always liars and the evil beasts and the slow bellies and go look for men to be leaders. And when you look for those men, look for men that are like you and appoint the men that you see what I saw in you. Go look for it in other people. What a gift the Apostle Paul's giving to Titus because then he qualifies what he saw in Titus. The husband of one wife, faithful children, a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, no, not given to filthy lucre, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and temperate. Titus, go find those people and appoint them in leadership because it's what I saw in you. Can you imagine getting that task, understanding what's coming, all the work and all the labor that's got to happen. And then the man who was preaching the night you got saved says, this is who you were in my eyes. And better yet, it's who you are in God's eyes. A man that can do. A can-do Christian named Titus. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, our prayer now is for these four things. Lord, my attitude, my perception of life, my knowledge of your word, and Lord, my diligence to your word. Lord, I want to be different this week than I was last week. This is my prayer. Grow me, change me. Lord, no matter what comes, no matter what the trial, the test is, Lord, help me to love your word to love your people and to be diligent. Lord, thank you for this incredible book. I pray that you would change hearts and lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for each and every one of you, for your heart, for your life. I'm praying for you. And over the next few weeks, let's really ask God to open our eyes and show us something new and fresh from the book of Titus. I want to be a can-do Christian. And I hope that's your prayer. Brother Arthur, you come.